the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground for three. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. And also by one of the lawyers in our office, Kelly Decker. Hello. All right. Now, for those of you who don't know about this show, the show is in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes that we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about history, politics, religion. Tonight, I think we're going to be talking a little bit about international politics. We have our old friend Burgess Owens on to talk about it's Black History Month, so we're going to have our friend Burgess just Owens talk about black history. Then we have Jamie Glasnoff, who's a refugee from the former Soviet Union, who's talking about the new threat to freedom today, the jihadists. But in any event, let's start with estate planning and elder law. And Kelly, do you have a, an email question to... Uh... Yes, I do. You know, we get a lot of occurring questions. And one of the one that keeps coming up is, if I have a trust and most of my assets are in the trust, why do I need a will? Yeah, and that is a question that comes up all the time. And I, I'm going to start with, you know, the conclusion, everybody needs a will. You might say, well, wait a minute, all my assets are in a trust. All my assets are joint. The remaining assets are joint. So why do I need a will? Because a will controls only those assets in your name alone when you pass away. And that is true. But there's always something that could pop up. You know, a lot of people own a car. Ordinarily, you're not going to put your car in a trust. Yeah, somebody who has a set of antique cars, we may put them in a trust. But 99% of the people that they own a car, they're not going to have that car in a trust. A will will take care of that. That gives the executive authority to sell that car. You may have things you forget about. There may be a checking account. You might have 99.9% of your assets in a trust, but maybe there's one checking account, three, four, five thousand dollars Somehow you forgot to put somebody else's name on it. Or sometimes the checking account is joint between husband and wife. Husband dies first. The wife then dies later. And, and the checking account is in her name alone when she dies. Well, guess what? In that case, it's a lot easier to collect that asset if we have a will than if we don't. Sometimes a will might control the jewelry. If you have jewelry, where does it go? A will controls that. And if nothing else, you in your will, you want to appoint an executor that can file your final tax returns. Get that tax refund if you need it. Now, yes, if everything is in trust or joint, got somebody else's name on it, a will is not going to cover that much. But there are enough things that happen that 
the will might control. And of course, one of the things the will might control is your pet. Very rarely are you going to put a pet in a trust, although we can talk about that on another show. But you know, if you own a pet, who has control of the pet? Now, usually it's not a major problem. People don't fight over pets in a will. But at the same time, it's nice to have some legal authority that somebody has the authority to transfer the ownership of a pet. And I know some people say transfer ownership of a pet. A pet is still property under the New York state laws. It's not another person. You know, as my law school professor said, it's not a guy in a furry coat. It's an asset. It's a possession. Beth, do you have any other things that come up sometimes why people need a will? Well, I mean, we were talking about weird thing. First, I'm going to say with pet because Otto, it never really occurred to me how important it was to, to take care of your animals until we had Otto. So um, yes, you know, let's not let's not forget about them. Um, sometimes something crazy can happen. Uh, you can have, uh, you know, you could die in a fire. You could um, there could be a horrible car accident and um, lawsuits, um, and your estate might end up with a a whole lot of money from a lawsuit. And if you don't have a will, what happens to it then? Yeah, you want to name the the person who's in charge of that lawsuit, which is your executor. Plus, obviously, you want to say where that money from that lawsuit goes. You know, here's the thing. As people get older, you're 70 years old, you're walking down the street, you cross the street, you see a truck coming, you jump back. You're 90 years old, same thing happens. Maybe you're not quite as quick in reaction, and maybe you get hit by that car. Maybe you get hit by that truck, and then there's a lawsuit that lingers after you're gone. A will would take care of that. And, you know, maybe you win the lottery, and I know that seems far-fetched, but it does happen. And, of course, sometimes you may have joint bank accounts between, let's say, husband and wife or son and daughter, and the people pass away together or one after the other. A will would take care of that asset. So everybody should have a will. I'm going to give one story. A woman had a financial planner. She had a lot of investments in annuities and brokerage accounts and She had all those assets transfer on death. And the financial planner told her, well, you don't need a will because all your your assets are transfer on death. She did have a checking account of about $15,000. All right. She dies in her apartment. Her relatives are not cooperative because they didn't get any of the assets that were put in place in the annuities or transfer on death on the brokerage accounts. And so they're not cooperative. So she has this apartment. In theory, she has no will. The contents of the apartment go to her next of kin by law. Well, they're not cooperative. Rent is taken out of her checking account, direct withdrawals. So the rent is being paid. It's a little over 1000 a month. It wasn't that expensive apartment. But $1,000 a month went to the landlord. Nobody was able to get authority to get into the apartment because, again, the relatives were not cooperative. By the time the public administrator got involved, there was no money left in the checking account. The assets in the apartment, there was some damage done to the apartment. It was just a mess. And it could have been resolved if we had a will, if we had an executor, where we appointed somebody who could take charge of the situation legally. Because, you know, somebody may say, well, I've, again, I've got everything joint. Wouldn't they let my nephew or niece who's listed on my bank account, wouldn't they appoint him executor? No, they're not going to appoint an executor unless you put it in writing. If you don't have a will, then the administrator of your state is your next of kin by law. And if the administrator of your state is not somebody that's friendly to you, it can work with you, it could be a disaster. Or in some cases, it might be the administrator of your state, you know, wife dies, husband's still alive, but the husband's of advanced age and he can't handle things. He's not competent to be the administrator of the state. Again, you've got a problem. Everybody should have a will. Yes, in planning your estate, you should have it such that there are no assets in your name alone when you pass away so your estate doesn't go through court, doesn't go through probate. 
That's our goal. But it's impossible in some cases to get everything out without going to court. Again, we may have the car, the furniture in the house, a checking account, a check in the mail, a U.S. federal income tax check, even to sign the, the final return in some cases. Who's going to sign the return? That is why we want an executor. That's why we want a will. Everybody should have a will. Now, again, if you own real estate, and that's going to be another question later, if, if you have real estate, your real estate should be in a trust. There's no question about that. And we don't want the will to, to control most of the assets because we don't want most of the assets to be tied up in court. We want it to go directly to the heirs. But it's not a perfect world, and it's almost impossible to get everything in a trust or have joint bank accounts or whatever. So everybody should have a will. Again, that's not your main line of planning. You want your assets in a trust, but everybody should have a will, and I can't stress that enough. Again, thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We're going to take a short break, and we'll we'll have a few more questions at the end of the break. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Hi, this is Patrick Wayne. I had the good fortune to be raised by a man of strength and courage, a man of true grit. My father, John Wayne, died of stomach cancer in 1979. And in his characteristic style, he ignored advice to keep his disease quiet and campaigned publicly to encourage preventive treatments. He inspired our family to carry on that mission. And today, the John Wayne Cancer Institute at Providence St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, California, continues to take bold steps in cancer research. The John Wayne Cancer Institute has developed novel approaches to detect cancer, establishes therapies to boost the immune system to fight what my dad called the big C, and initiated less invasive surgeries. We've made significant advances in treating melanoma and breast cancer. All this has been made possible by my father's legacy of determination and a community of supporters who have helped expand upon that legacy. For more information, visit www.jwcigiving.org. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, we're back. And with us tonight is Kelly Decker, one of the attorneys in our office. Now, each week, Kevin McCullough asks, re-asks a question, basically, that's been emailed from one of our listeners, and he plays it live on his show. So let's turn it over to Kevin McCullough for a minute. Hi, Kevin McCullough. And every week, I promise you that Mr. Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan will answer one of your questions about a state care or elder law. And here we have a question from Manny today, Mike. It says, what happens if I sell property that I've inherited from my parents' estate? And I'm assuming the implication here is, is what's, his, what's his tax liabilities? What say you, Mike Connors? Well, usually it's pretty good. Let's say you inherit a property. Let's say there was a house. Your parents paid 50000 for the house. It's worth a million uh, you know, on the day the survivor of them passed away. 
Your tax basis in that property then would be the date of debt value, $1 million. It's called the stepped-up basis. Assets step up to their date of debt value. So if Manny sells that property for $1 million, there's no capital gain. There's no income tax. And, of course, in New York right now, there's no estate death tax under $5,700,000 as of January 1st. So, in effect, he sells the house for a million dollars after his closing costs. He puts a million dollars in his pocket. So, and that would not be the case if he were to hang on to the property. Well, if he, ha- if he hung on to the property, his tax base is still a million. He can depreciate the property from a million dollars if it's a rental property. And, and you know, I'm simplifying the numbers, but basically the first $40,000 of income he received on the property would be, you know, tax-free. So there's a great advantage to holding property until after you're gone. Do it the right way. Make it an inheritance. And, of course, one of the ways you make it an inheritance is putting it through a trust agreement. But that way, usually the kids can sell the property tax-free. Yeah. No, that's a great uh, bit of help. And, friends, maybe uh, you've got other questions that you feel like you just need some expertise on. Uh, Connors and Sullivan are the only ones I would ever turn to, and I want you to check them out. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Five offices across the boroughs. 718-238-6500. You can also send a question to askmikeconnors at gmail.com. And listen to Mike every Saturday morning at 8 on AM 570, The Mission, and Sunday mornings at 11 on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. And, of course, each week you can hear Kevin McCullough ask those questions on his Thursday show at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock p.m. Now, you can hear Kevin McCullough on 9-7 The Answer Monday through Friday from 5 to 6. And, of course, he does the show with John Katsimatidis on Wednesdays. And you can also hear him on 570 The Mission from Monday to Fridays at 3 o'clock. So, Kevin McCullough... Monday through Friday, 970 The Mission at 3 o'clock, 970 The Answer, Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock. Now, Kelly, you have another question there, but before we, we get into the question, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, where did you grow up? Where did you go to law school? Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm originally from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, born and raised. Uh, Ten years ago, I moved to New York for college. I attended Binghamton University, and after that, went to Toro Law School. Up to now, I've been practicing law for about two years, and prior to coming to Connors & Sullivan, specializing in tax matters, bankruptcy, as well as estate proceedings and surrogates court and estate planning, which I have the opportunity to hone in and specialize now at Connors & Sullivan. Okay, where do you live? Right now, I am in Brooklyn, in Bay Ridge. More times than not, you're in the Bay Ridge office. Absolutely. Most of the time, I am here in the Brooklyn office. Okay. And for those of you who don't know, again, we you know we play it all the time, but we have offices in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, Staten Island, Middle Village, Queens, Bayside, Queens, and Manhattan. And if you want to schedule an appointment at any one of our offices, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Kelly, do you have another question? Yes, I do. The second question is, I did a will I downloaded off the internet. Is this good? Is this okay? <laughs> and the answer is a very big maybe, depending on the circumstances. You know, a will is not just a writing where you, you fill out the form, and if you fill out the form, it's good. A will is a writing witnessed by two people who are willing to testify in court that they witnessed a will. And, of course, one, one of the big problems we have, if, if let's say you download the will off the Internet, who are the witnesses? A lot of cases, it's human nature. You get two neighbors off the street to witness your will. There's a problem. You know, it has to go through court. Somebody's going to contest your will. Well, in that case, 
the witnesses may not want to get involved, and that gives the, the person who's contesting your will a huge advantage. Because again, a will is not just a writing that's witnessed by two people. You, you fill out the form right, and it's good. It's not just a form. You have to have witnesses who back it up. And it's human nature, and in a lot of cases, it's human nature for the witnesses not to get involved. And not only that, the witnesses may not have a, a sure handle of what happened. They may, and I've been there before, you know, the witnesses may say, well, that's my signature. Yes, but I don't really remember what happened. Did we sign a will? I, I don't know. Were we signing the, the home attendance pay sheets? And believe me, I've, I've had that answer given to me. So you want two witnesses who are going to be very clear that they signed a will, that you declared it to be your will. You asked the witnesses to witness the will. There's a little bit of a technicality with wills. It's not just as simple as, as filling out the form and that's it and it goes through. And if anybody can test the will, if there are any problems with the will, and of, and of course, a lot of times the forms, there are a lot of things that are a little hazy about them. They're not completely filled out. There could be problems. And of course, when you're filling out a will. Are there any tax consequences to what you're doing? Are you appointing a guardian for a minor child? There's so many factors that come in. You know, like, why would you want to save a few hundred dollars? You do a will, and then maybe you don't have the proper guardian for your child, or maybe it doesn't go through court because you filled out the form wrong, or because the witnesses are not willing to testify. If you're going to do your planning right, do it in the correct manner. If you want to see us at Connors and Sullivan, please do so. But do not download a will off the internet. Yeah, if you're single and you got no assets and you got no kids, maybe that will be okay. But for the most part, please don't gamble with your children's future. Don't gamble with your assets. Doing it the right way. Now, we're going to take a short break and we're going to be listening to Burgess Owens. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash F Melia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank. NMLS number 403503. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, 
I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With us right now is is an old friend of the show, NFL player Burgess Owens. He played for the Jets for a number of years and then won his uh, Super Bowl ring with the Oakland Raiders. And, and he's been talking to us about football, but also about history. And, and Burgess, you have a lot of observations uh, about the history of African Americans in the United States. And I think you have said, and I know you've said that it's been distorted over the years. Can you give us your impression of black history from, let's say, after the Civil War into the early 19, uh, 1900s? Absolutely. And let me just say this. I, I had a book that just came out recently that really highlights this. Um, it, it, it's called uh, Why I Stand, From Freedom to the Killing Fields of Socialism. And what it highlights is not only the history that we're going to be talking about in the next few minutes, but just how great our country has been and unique it's been because of our founders and our foundation, uh, our Judeo-Christian values. So that being said, um, what is there's something that Karl Marx, the founder of socialism, Marxism, said back in the 1800s that's, that's come to fruition for us, which is the first battleground is rewriting of history. If, if, if people are, are able to rewrite, to delete our history, not only are we no longer proud of our past, we lose our vision for the future, and that's what's happened today. Uh, there are many Americans today that actually look down on the black race. They think it's compassion. They don't think that we can overcome the oppressive, much stronger white race because they have no idea what our, not only what our history is all about, but, but the success that any culture that comes to this country has if they adhere to the principles that make our country great which is freedom, opportunity, and, and, uh, and, and the ability to dream big. Uh, 50 years after Civil War, 1905, I'll keep that date in mind, 1905, there's a little college down in, uh, in Alabama called Tuskegee Institute, started by an ex-slave, Booker T. Washington, in 1885. And by 1905, that little college was producing more self-made millionaires than, than Harvard, Yale, and Princeton combined. Uh, we can talk about the first... Uh, self-made female millionaire in this country was a black lady, uh, uh, Madam C.J. Walker. We can talk about the, 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 the first traffic light, or we can talk about the, uh, uh, the success of the, the black community as I was growing up. The 40s, 50s, and 60s, it was the black community that led our entire nation in terms of the commitment to men to marriage, the percentage of, entrepreneur, of, uh, of those entering the, in the middle class, uh, the percentage of those uh, committed to education, and also the percentage of, of entrepreneurs, over 40%. Now, those things are not taught today, because if they were, then we would realize that, first of all, uh, uh, saying, putting down our race as one that cannot not overcome white privilege would be the greatest insult, not only to those within my race, but they would recognize that those saying it are true racists. So, at the end of the day, let, we need to learn our education, guys. We need to learn our history. Education is a, is a key cornerstone to our, our free country. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said, uh, ignorant and free can, can never be, and that is so true. And you look at every, uh, every community where there's misery that the Democratic Party has put in place is because that community first has been made ignorant. 
of our history, of their potential, and the opportunity to to work their way and bring their way out of any 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 obstacle, to say the least. Now, earlier, you, you know, and and why I stand. Obviously, you were talking a little bit about the national anthem. Fortunately, that controversy seems to have disappeared. Well, you would think so. You have to understand uh, what we're up against. Uh, <laughs> you see, there there is we, we have we're truly in, in the fight for the heart and soul of our nation. We have within our birth foundation something that no other country has ever done. We'll begin our nation with Judeo-Christian values. No matter how we worship or we believe in this country, we have input uh, for our history that there's a God in heaven that blesses us as we do the right things. We're fighting against socialists, Marxists, and atheists, and they come in all different sizes and forms, but it's always through stealth. So yes, we're now no longer seeing the, the obvious demeaning and distraction of, the, uh, of uh, kneeling for the flag. But behind the curtains, you see something else. You see a, 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 a marketing arm, Nike, that is now producing and, push, and pushing out around this country, around the world, a Marxist. Uh, uh, Karpenick, uh, Kaepernick is now the face of Nike. You see the NFL, uh, which is led by socialist uh, uh, liberals. And behind the curtains, they're supporting social justice programs, over $90 million paid out last year to programs that have nothing to do with the black community, but has all to do with socialist act, uh, activism, and uh, Dream Corp being one of them. So, yes, it appears that we now have gotten past it, but the message of, uh, around the world that our country, that the NFL has, has been able to be, be able to push out, and I talk about this an entire chapter in my book, so I, I know it's kind of a short message right now. I really do hope people take the time not only to understand the history of our nation and, and how the socialists have, have, have ingrained themselves within our community destroyed it, but also with the uh, companies, the globalist companies like NFL, what they're really doing for us, and the fact that the idea of abuse, abuse, and discard has been something they've done for every, every people, every culture, every uh, group that, that, have, that trusts them. They go through the same process. And unfortunately, the NFL fans, I don't care how patriarchy you might be, or how much you believe in, in the, the NFL brand, uh, we've been used, abused, and discarded as they now reach out to their global reach. So, again, a lot more to explain in that one chapter I have on that, but I hope everybody gets a chance to, to pick it up and read it. Now, I saw in an article where you said that the black elitists are letting down the black community. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. Well, again, an entire chapter on this. Uh, the NAACP, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, which has been the has been actually the worst thing that's happened to our race is it was started back in 1910. It was not started by colored people. It was started by 21 white socialist, Marxist, atheist, race controlled Democrats at a time where our community, the black community, was the leading, it was actually the most competitive minority in our country because it was Christian based, it was entrepreneurial based. It was it was it was it had an attitude very simply very simply this: we're not going to command your respect. We're going I mean, we're not going to demand your respect. We're going to command it. And we command it by winning, by going out there and competing, and, and through meritocracy, showing that, that we are as good or better as anybody else out there that puts their, put their action in, into work. That's, what, that's the community we were part of when the NWCP came out. The NWCP has been responsible, and the, and, and the black elitists, by the way, that are now part of it, have been responsible for more death, more hopelessness, and all the white supremacists combined throughout our history. There was no, and, and you think about the KKK, which we hear about all the time. Their, in their history, they, they lynched for over 4,000, about 4,300 4, 4, people. 
1,300, by the way, were white, uh, uh, white Republicans. The, the, <laughs> the black elitists have been responsible for uh, the, the pushing of abortion, the lack of education because they're against, against anything that deals with school choice, uh, uh, the lack of, of, of jobs for our youth, before something called Davis Bacon Act was put together by Democrats accused our kids of not working in the, in the inner cities. There is a litany of things that our black leaders, who become very wealthy, by the way, look at every single one of them, John Lewis, Maxine Waters, and I have an entire chapter on John Lewis called The Man, The Bridge, The Socialist Hero. People like John Lewis have done nothing. The last time he showed any courage for his race was 65 years ago, or 35, whatever, 60 years ago, when he passed and went across that bridge in, in Alabama. Since then, he was kowtowed to the leftist, white leftist leadership, and done everything he could to make sure that we stay, the black community stays on that plantation that they put together, and the plantation of misery. Again, it's time to call these people out, because they are truly the enemy of, of, of the black community, the elitists, the ones who look at their class over race, and have shown it through their, their policies and their actions. Now, we're, t- we're touching back about history in the 20s, which I know you've, you, you've written about this, but Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger... <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Singer uh, is a poster child of a pro-KKK, pro-Nazi, Nazi, pro-eugenics, anti-black, evil little lady. Uh, her idea and she and her centers talked are out there for anybody to look at if they want to. She looked at the black community as a group of human reckless breeders. And the goal was to go in and, and, and eliminate as much of this this uh, this bad gene is possible. And the reason why you had black leaders part of it, uh, W. Du Bois was, was on her board. She was a member, he was a, he was a front guy, the front guy, uh, the first front look of NAACP, W.E. Du Bois. He was really, uh, uh, an educated, Harvard-educated, socialist, communist, uh, black elitist. And he was on Sanger's board because he also believes in the in genesis. He believed that there were some really good genes in black people, the ones that were kind of light-skinned, wavy-haired, and educated, and those that were not good gene blacks who needed to uh, be eliminated. Uh, his idea of the talent tenth was there some, uh, some born to lead and some born to dig. That was his attitude. And unfortunately, we have the same elitist group today that leads the charge in pushing a, abortion into our black communities. 80% of those of their, their killing laboratories are located in black communities. So uh, it is, uh, you see the results of what they have done, uh, the Planned Parenthood. By the way, just one other number for people to recognize. Since 1973, there's been over 20 million abortions of black babies by white uh, abortionists. That represents 40% of today's black population. Now, any other country, any other civilized country, that would be called genocide. Today it's called health care. And those poor black mothers who are, who are, who are uh, the, the, the dreams of being, of understanding motherhood, of nurturing that's been stolen from them is because they have been trained to think there's no big deal to kill their own, uh, their own kids. And we need to get past that and recognize this is what evil is what it is. And it's, it's, it's an evil because it started with an evil little lady uh, called Margaret Sanger. Yeah, and, and I, I think enough people don't realize she was a pure racist in the, of the worst kind. <laughs> of the worst kind. And, but she was also a, uh, I, I think the term would be narcissist today or psychopath because she was able to, without, without any conscience, deal with everybody. She, she was able to go within the, K, the, 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 the group of KKK and have meetings with them. 
She's also able to go within the, the black communities that have news with, with, with that side. She didn't care. She was able to, to, uh, to position herself to be attracted to anyone who listened to her, a true black widow spider, a uh, very evil lady. And, uh, and unfortunately, the seed of that evil is still today being pro- uh, pushed out. And we have, unfortunately, blacks who actually have taken part in it and, and now uh, are part of the process. Again, an entire chapter in my book, I, I call it uh, NWCP, uh, The Trojan Horse. And uh, I think you'll find it very interesting and insightful. And the facts are there that this lady, this lady was evil, and we have a group of black people that have been just as, uh, that have been more detrimental to a black race than any other white uh, uh, supremacist could have ever been, what they've done in terms of uh, destruction and hopelessness. Can you mention to the audience, you know, uh, well, I know of the two books you've authored. Can you mention each one of those books so, you know, that maybe they can look it up okay. on Amazon and get a copy? Absolutely. And I think, I think you'll find that both a good read. The first one was Liberalism, well, how to turn good men into whiners, widows, and wimps uh, is a bestseller. And the second one is the one that just came out in October, which is why I stand uh, from the uh, from freedom to the killers of socialism. And it's time it's time for our, for Americans to understand we are again in the fight of our lives, and it's against socialists, Marxists, and atheists. Those ideologies are now being accepted here. And keep in mind, this is important: people do not rush to socialist countries; they run from them. Because at the end of the day, you have these nice, smiley people with big, big, big teeth smiling at us. But at the end of the day, they're going to end up bringing up the misery to those who are left behind, those who do not agree with them. So people rush from those kind of countries to America. We don't need to be the kind of country that people rush away from America because we've accepted the evil, evil ideology of socialism, Marxism, and atheism. Where can we find out what Burgess Owens is doing or... or what organizations he's involved in? You can ask you a couple things. You can ask you my my, uh, my website, which is Burgess Owens Talk. We're about to up, upgrade that now. Uh, talk is we're doing that now. And the other one is uh, is my, my Facebook page, Burgess Owens Official, and we have communication. And what I believe in is what we're doing right now, we're talking, we're having conversations, where even if I don't agree with we don't even if we don't agree, we can still respect, uh, respectfully agree to disagree. That's what our country's always been about, about tolerance. So, on my Facebook page, we have for those who don't agree with me, but we can respectfully discuss different issues and uh, respond, and in that way, we can actually move our, our country ahead. Because at, it, we're all about our country, not about ideology, not about politicians. It's about our nation moving forward and giving everyone the opportunity to have freedom and, uh, and and dream big. Burgess Owens, God bless you. Good luck with your work. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And let's, let's do this again. It's we will. Always when I catch with you guys. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718 238 6500 or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. 
Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Our next guest is originally from the former Soviet Union, and he, he lives now in Canada, and he's got a book out, Jihadist Psychopath. The name of the author, Jamie Glossoff. How are you doing today, sir? Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, we got a title here. What's what's the book about? Well, The Jihadist Psychopath is my new book. Uh, well, what can I say? For many years, I was studying the tactics of psychopaths and how they romance and seduce and capture and devour their victims. And I was as I, as I was studying all the step-by-step tactics, and I'm talking about every step, and then at the same time, because I'm dedicated to the defense of our free societies and of America and of the Westerns, of Western civilization, I began to see that in terms of Islamization and how jihad and stealth jihad are taking over us, I began to see that it's exactly the same step-by-step process. So I'll just give one quick example, for instance. Um, there's a romance stage, there's a seduction stage, but then when this, uh, the psychopath gets his claws into you, he does, he does different things with his victims. For instance, when the psychopath punches his victim in the face, within about 30 seconds, the victim is apologizing because the psychopath is pouting and sulking like he's the victim. If you look at the jihadist attacks today, it's very, very clear that after every single jihadist attack, within about 30 minutes, uh, the West is apologizing for being Islamophobic and that it's going to do better and trying to accommodate the members of the religion of peace, etc., etc. So something very pathological is happening. Now, now, you know the standard spiel, you know, Islam is a religion of peace and, and we're the bad guys. Where did that come from? And what do you have to say about it? Well, this is exactly what I'm narrowing in on and exactly the question to ask and to answer because there's a Stockholm syndrome going on. So this this uh, this is a very complicated problem with many layers because on the one hand the the people who are under siege and being abused also in most cases want to be deceived and try to rationalize that what we're facing is not really a threat and that we have to change but there's also a lot of propaganda going on and so the left as well as uh, the Islamic supremacists, they're trying to brainwash our society with this, that, you know, it's just the extremists, and, you know, these people just need jobs, and there's climate change going on, and we just have to fix a little bit of here and this, give a few hugs, give up some land over here, give some money over here, and then everything will be okay. And this is the way that... uh, that many victims under siege delude themselves, but unfortunately it's just not the case. There's many wonderful Muslim people. There's many peaceful Muslims. They go by the label Muslim. They were born into that environment. They had no control over what and who they became. They might not follow Sharia. They might not follow Jihad. But Islam is Islam, and Muslims are not larger than Islam. The problem is the ideology of Islam and the devout Muslims who follow it. That's the key. 
you, you know, why do we? Why are we in a position sometimes when something outrageous happens? There's not a lot of outrage in the Islamic community. Well, that's a great question because if uh, you know, if if the standard you know, mantra of the left and also of uh, of the Islamic supremacists when they're trying to give this this argument that, you know, it's just the minority, it's just the minority. Well, where are the protests in the street of all, you know, for instance, where are all the Muslims protesting, trying to support Asya Bibi, that poor Christian girl that's been sitting in a jail in Pakistan for eight years? Where are all the the peaceful, moderate Muslims arguing and protesting on their behalf. So this is exactly it. So I would say this. I would say that many, many followers of the quote-unquote religion of peace uh, quietly and silently, unfortunately and tragically, support a lot of what is happening in terms of the mandates of jihad and Sharia because it's in their texts. There's also a lot of fear because they're very afraid, because we know what Islamic blasphemy laws, we know about Islamic apostasy laws, and so it's a violent religion that punishes not just the unfaithful, but the also the faithful for going against the religion. So it's a totalitarian cult, and people are also very afraid. Now, you just mentioned, you know, you're talking about blasphemy. The poor woman that was in Pakistan in, in jail, can you explain that story to listeners? Because I think most of us don't don't really know the story. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking that. And you would think that with all the women's marches right now, and, you know, they really care about women, you would think that this might, you know, if you care about women so much, you would think that maybe they would have placards of Asya Bibi, that, you know, Kathy Griffin and Chelsea Handler and Rosie O'Donnell, you know, there's so much for women. You would think that they would be standing up for her, but not one word. So it really shows what the left is really all about. In any case, Asya Bibi is a Christian woman in Pakistan who had the audacity of picking up a cup and touching it to drink some water. But you see, she's a kafir. She's a kufr. There's different ways of, of, of saying that term, and that means an unbeliever. And the Muslim women that were there were outraged that a dirty, filthy, non-Muslim had touched that cup, and they had reprimanded her for it. And, and uh, the events that subsequently happened is they began to accuse her and tell her that she should be Muslim. And we don't know all the circumstances, but Asya tried to defend her faith and says, and, you know, to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, etc. And in that dynamic, she was accused of blasphemy, which is very serious in Islam. That's a death penalty or year or life in prison. And uh, she ended up being jailed. And she's been in jail for eight years for the crime of quote-unquote blasphemy. And millions of Muslims are rioting in the streets wanting her blood. And, uh, you know, you got to ask, what does this say about Islam? Where are the quote-unquote moderate Muslims who should be supporting her and opposing this kind of monstrosity? Where are our leaders? Where are the leaders of the Women's March? It's just, uh, this is just an atrocity because every single human being that's dedicated to women's rights, to human rights, should be screaming from the rooftops right now in defense of Asya Bibi. But it's hardly a story that's making the headlines. Well, absolutely, because the left controls our culture. The left controls our boundaries of discourse. I've written about this in my book, United in Hate. David Horowitz has documented this in his book, Unholy Alliance. 
And, you know, so Don Lemon, Anderson Cooper, Rachel Maddow, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, the establishment media, they're quiet on this. And this is what I dedicate my book to. There is a surrender going on right now in the West. And what's happening is jihad denial. There's a denial about the enemy we face. There's a denial about what motivates and inspires our enemy. And you see, for the left, it's very important to deny this, you see, because leftists want to destroy this society. They're at war with the democratic capitalist society. They want to destroy Western civilization. They want to destroy the Judeo-Christian tradition. If they give any focus to somebody like Asya Bibi, guess what happens? What happens if a Kathy Griffin or, like I said, Rosie O'Donnell or Charles Z. Handler and all these quote-unquote feminists, what would happen if they stood up for Asya Bibi? Very quickly, here's what would happen. You would have to admit that there's Islamic blasphemy laws. Once you begin discussing Islamic blasphemy laws, you begin to see that Islam is actually quite totalitarian and ruthless. And guess what the next conclusion is? That our society is superior, that our society is more humane, and that our society is worth defending and protecting. See, they can't make that step because they want to destroy this society. So the victims of adversarial ideologies and movements like Islam have to be ignored and pushed into invisibility. You know, you brought up something from the past, Stockholm Syndrome. What is that? In the, in the simplest term, Stockholm Syndrome is identifying with your abuser and defending your abuser. And this often happens to human beings that are victims uh, and who are under siege of a totalitarian and ruthless force. And so there's also something called the Oslo Syndrome, which Kenneth Levin has written about, and that's the Israelis who were looking at the facts of Oslo right in the face, and the facts were telling them that the Palestinian world and that the Islamic world hates you and we want to kill you. And yet somewhere, the is many, many left-wing Israelis, they had convinced themselves that somehow Oslo would work. And it's, you know, it's connected off of obviously to things that we know, like, let's say, battered woman syndrome, where the poor woman thinks that if she just makes the spaghetti just a little bit better the next time, that the batterer will not be as abusive. There's, you know, there's different layers of this in different, uh, you know, there's political and personal, etc. But that's what we're suffering today. And I show that in my book and documented that the more abuse we're receiving and as jihad increases and escalates the more excuses we're trying to make i mean just even look under the obama administration where they were going on and on about how this is about jobs and about climate change it's just going on and on it's the denial what can we do obviously read your book but what can we do what can the the american public or the western public what can we do to help change the situation well i would start with this i would start as a christian by saying that I'd like to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for Donald Trump. Because as a person who, myself, who has studied what Islam is doing to us and our surrender, he has been a providential godsend in terms of certain things he has begun to do. So just even to begin with, what is the most important thing when you have an enemy? And Sun Tzu taught us, know thy enemy. In order to know an enemy, you have to label an enemy. How could we possibly 
defend ourselves from an enemy if we've got a blindfold on and don't even know him or can label him. Here's the key. During the Obama administration, we were unable to make a threat assessment. And I, I think we all remember that, where whether it was Eric Holder or John Brennan or Obama, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they took the words radical Islam and jihad and all of those references to Islam out of our intelligence agency manuals and training manuals and out of the dialogue, etc. And so therefore, Boston Marathon Massacre, Orlando, San Bernardino, all those jihadist attacks back in Fort Hood, etc. Those could have easily been prevented if we could have made a threat assessment, if the FBI and CIA could have asked the right questions and pursued the right leads. We were unable to do that. And so Donald Trump has started saying those words Islam, radical Islam, etc., etc. So that's where we begin, is to make a threat assessment. Because once we make a threat assessment, we can protect ourselves from the threat. And so Donald Trump has shown, just even on that one level, of, uh, of how he's taking care of America and American lives. Jamie Glassoff, thank you for writing Jihadist Psychopath. Thank you for trying to change the culture. I really appreciate it. Um, as you said earlier when you introduced me that I come from the Soviet Union as a kid, I, I fell in love with the United States the moment I arrived in the U.S. We ended up moving up to Canada, but I'll never forget arri arriving in New York City even as a little kid because when you smell the oxygen of freedom, even as a child, you fall in love with freedom. So I love the United States, and I've dedicated my life to honoring this country and to defending it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. And Kelly Decker, one of our attorneys. Kelly, I know you mentioned you were a Giant fan, so you don't remember anything about Burgess Owens. He's probably too too old for you anyway. My fiance would be very upset with me, but no, I don't know enough about football. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, you mentioned you were a Giant fan, so I think in the next few weeks... We're going to have former Giants Hall of Fame quarterback Fran Tarkington on again. He's been on the show before. Mm -hmm. And I, Chris Cordani, do you know what uh, Fran Tarkin's going to be talking about? He has a new book about elder financial abuse. We're going to be talking about that. The guy's worth $50 million. He's worried about financial mm -hmm. abuse. Well, he's trying to help other people. That's a nice thing to do. Okay. No, he's a good interview. He's a very intelligent man, a Hall of Fame quarterback who played for the Minnesota Vikings. And Well, I you know, think we ought to find out what he thinks about referee abuse. Okay. <laughs> well, was, we may, I talked to Burgess Owens before he came on tonight, today, okay. uh, and, and he said he didn't see the play, so he has no comment. Okay. Please, please talk to Fran Tarkenton about it, because I'm just crushed. Okay, well, got to get over Referee it. Referee abuse. I, it's going to be very hard. It's going to be very hard. Now, again, now, Facebook. Our Facebook likes are going up quite a bit. I don't really don't know why. But how does somebody get to, to like us on Facebook? That's easy. And by the way, you're a likable guy, Mike. That's why the Facebook likes are going way up. <laughs> I didn't think so. The show content, people love it. And, and they're listening and they're saying, hey, how do I like this page? Go to the page. It's on Facebook. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. There'll be a little section that says like with uh, maybe it has a thumbs up or not. I don't know. But it says like page like that. And it'll say liked and you like the page. Also, don't forget, we have a lot of the classic interviews on the YouTube channel. The Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors and Connors Corner YouTube channel. You can get highlights of that on the Facebook page as well. 
Okay, now did Dick Morris, did that get on yet, the, the last interview with Dick Morris? Yes, as a matter of fact, it did, and he has a lot of juicy stuff, so you right. really want to check that out. You know, like if uh, Dick Morris, for those of you who don't know, was campaign manager for Bill Clinton in 1992 and 1996, knew him from as governor of Arkansas, and so he has some nice stories about Bill and, and Hillary and their days in Arkansas and after in the, uh-huh. in the White House. Inside scoop. Right. <laughs> Uh, speaking of the Super Bowl weekend, it, there might even be a tackle in one of those stories. Yes, right. Yeah. Bill Clinton tackled uh, Good thing Dick Morris that, well, in the hallway. I, get, I, I wonder who the ref was. At, I don't know. Is Hillary well, Hillary the was the referee Hillary on that one. <laughs> Hillary broke up the fight. <laughs> so Dick oh, Morris and, you know, one of my personal interviews, too, I think was, uh, was Paul Weiss and his experiences in Vietnam because he has a different take. Than, than a lot of other people who talk about their experiences in Vietnam. So he had an interesting take on napalm. Yeah, he had an interesting take on <laughs> napalm. He had an interesting take on it, on his group of guys that were under him, who he like to said they were a very good group of guys. They like to kill people. But <laughs> catch that interview, Paul Weiss. We'll be back next week, same times. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Bye bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors & Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com the preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.